Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. You can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have a wonderful lineup of experts who will share stories, resources, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions of the guests. Well, I am very happy to welcome and introduce my guest tonight, who will discuss Dred Scott's family history. New research reveals many surprises. Lynn Jackson is Dred Scott's great-great-granddaughter, and she will share what family members has what family research has revealed in the last five years that amaze living family members. The famous slave's gold, whose freedom suit was a major catalyst for the Civil War, was all about family. Lynn Jackson is also the president and founder of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. So let me give a warm welcome to Lynn Jackson to research at the National Archives and beyond. Lynn, welcome. Thank you, Bernice. It's such a pleasure to talk to you again. We had a brief opportunity to chat before, but I'm so glad to be able to share this whole story with you tonight. Well, Lynn, I'm glad you're on, and you have a lot of other people, the chatters and people on the phone line, so we're all looking forward to hearing what you have to share with us tonight. Well, I have. I'm, I just want to start off with something. You know, all school children were taught about Dred, the Dred Scott decision. Tell us who Dred and Harriet Scott were and why they are so important in our nation's history. Well, Bernice, you know, it's very interesting. You did say something that's true. Mostly all school children are taught about the Dred Scott decision. But I have found that most of the time when I talk to people, and they, I said, you know who Dred Scott is? They'll say, yeah, yeah, I know that name. I remember, wasn't that that 
slave. Let's see now, what did he do? And it's in their minds. That's a good thing. But the vague, vague remembrances are always just that vague. And so that's one reason why we do what we do is because it's it's important that they understand who these people were. And Dred Scott was a slave who was born in Southampton, Virginia. His owner moved west, but he ended up in St. Louis. And at a certain point in time, even though the family really seemed to care about Dred, they owed debt, so they had to sell him. He was sold to an Army surgeon. During that time, he was taken into free territory at least twice in Illinois and Wisconsin territories. Well, Missouri has a law that says once free, always free. And even though Dredd didn't claim his freedom at that time, he actually met and married his wife, Harriet Robinson, in Wisconsin. They had two daughters, and by the time they were back in St. Louis, Mr. Emerson or Dr. Emerson passed away, and his wife owned the slaves at this point. She would not let them buy their freedom. She would not give them their freedom. And they found out that they could sue in federal court, so they did. And Uh that's what started the Dred Scott case. Now, what made it important was the fact that this was not an uncommon thing. It wasn't, well, I should say it, it wasn't rare. It wasn't common, but it wasn't rare. Because we have over 300 freedom suits here in Missouri that were filed with slaves trying to get their freedom for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. What made U.S. case so much different was, first, they have to give kudos to his wife, Harriet, because she also filed for her freedom. There are two separate petitions, two separate cases. And they were eventually combined into one because they were so similar as it progressed. But they sued for their freedom. What made theirs so different was the fact that it actually made it to the Supreme Court, at which point 11 years later and after five trials, they were told that they weren't citizens, neither were free black citizens. They had no rights that black men were bound to respect, that white men were bound to respect, and that literally they had no case. It's like they threw it out of court after all that time because you're not a citizen. You can't sue, so we don't have to answer your question. Well, in the meantime, they went a step further. Bernice, you know what an activist judge is, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we hear that phrase all the time now, activist judges, meaning that they go beyond the scope of their duty or what was required in the case. Well, Dredd was in such a situation, the justice Roger B. Taney, decided that not only would he declare him not a citizen and not free, but also the fact that those laws, like the Missouri Compromise and the Northwest Ordinance, those laws were no longer valid and that Congress had no right to even institute them almost 40-plus years ago. Mm-hmm. So they threw out everything that allowed there to be freedom and virtually said this is all going to be a slave country. Well, that's what kicked up the North even further, and that's what led to the Civil War, among other things, of course. Yeah. It was very important. So their case was pivotal in uh, that it was like the straw that broke the camel's back, in other words. Okay. And, of course, they did get their freedom, and this was a very quiet thing that happened here when their owner's son worked out a plan. And I'm not going to go into the whole story because we can't do that tonight, but it was a wonderful thing the way it turned out, that they were able to get their freedom, not through the courts, however. And then um, Red Scott only lived another 18 months, but his wife was another 18 years. So mm-hmm. their case was important. And what was critical about them as a couple is that they did this to preserve their daughters. They did not want their daughters to be in slavery. 
and also the fact that as um, their case would go, so would go the country, they were willing to put their necks out on the line to see what would come of it, and it was very dangerous, very risky. In fact, if you even filed a suit to, uh, for your freedom, that was considered like insurrection and being rebellious. And yes. some slaves could have been killed or sold down the river or beaten. And, you know, it was very, very risky. So they were extremely, they were extremely courageous. But as you said, it was about the family. It was about the daughters. And so they would risk anything to obtain that freedom for the family. And let's go back to the mother again on Harriet, because it's true in our societies today, especially, you know, the Jewish family, as the, the mother's Jewish, the child is Jewish. Well, if the mother was the child was free. If the mother was slave, the child was a slave. So Harriet had a chance on her own. So they filed two petitions. In case Red did not win, maybe she would. So there yes. was strategy involved here too, okay? Yeah. So it was well it was thought out. It wasn't just an impromptu, oh well we'll just go sue. Let's think about how we can make this work for us. They had precedent in the court and it should have happened. But I think Providence meant for it to be that thing that would eventually break break the back of of slavery. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, you you certainly have a a heritage, uh, uh, one that would make me wonder, when did you learn about this family heritage? You know, our family always knew that they were Red Scott descendants. So when we were very, very young, we would hear about it. We didn't understand it then, but I do remember being five years old, and there was a big, big to-do down at the old courthouse, and my father was dressed up like Dred Scott in the courtroom, and his brother, whose name was Dred Scott Madison, his older brother, was there. All the family was there, and I was just so little. I remember the people, the lights, and I remember it was about Dred Scott. So that's my earliest remembrance. But mm-hmm. because the genealogy doesn't go back so terribly far, you're going to find out in, in, as we continue to talk how it is that we we had no doubt that we knew, and yet it was just something that was always there. We did it was go always there. And, yes, it was just there, you know. And so to us it was not a big deal, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit that a lot of family members never really quite understood the importance of it. I'm talking about brothers and sisters and cousins. And, you know, even myself, until we got older, and now certainly I think everybody's very much more aware. Mm-hmm. So what was it like, I mean, just growing up with this lineage? Well, you know, again, it wasn't something that was touted, but we went to Antioch Baptist Church, which was in the Bill in St. Louis. And if anybody in St. Louis is listening, they know where the Bill is. It's over where Sumner High School is. And Sumner High School was the first black high school west of the Mississippi. It was named after Charles Sumner, who was beat almost to death on the Senate floor for speaking out against slavery. And even with that, Bernice, a lot of people don't even realize he was a white man. Some people here just think Sumner must be named after a black man. It's a black high school. Mm -hmm. So that's how our history needs to be taught a little better. But the Bill area was a very uh, prominent area, one of those places where blacks could flourish. And at that time, we would go to church, go to school. Our teachers were contemporaries with my parents, so they all knew, and they would mention it in the classroom or in the Sunday school class. And to this day, I have friends who say, 
oh, I know them, they're Dred Scott's people, and they'll say I'm their cousin. They're not really, you know, but we all <laughs> kind of joke about it. So it was just like that, you know, nothing that you would, you know, trumpet a horn about. But uh, at the time growing up, it was something that we knew, and we knew they were going to mention it in school, and you kind of like try to be humble. But <laughs> it was uh, it, it was an honor to know that somebody important was in your family, but I still don't think we understood how important it was. So, so what it sounds like though, did you grow up in St. Louis? Yes, I did. In fact, all of the descendants of Dred Scott started out in St. Louis because when they were brought here and they sued for their case here, as the lineage comes down, I like to tell people this way: Dred Scott's grandson is my mm-hmm. grandfather, and that oh, makes it a little okay. easier for people to see how close we are. Yeah, and that's yeah. That I like the way. In fact, as genealogists, you know, how can you get this point across? And that's what I've come to realize. That that just it's like a word picture. That's right. So yes, all these yeah, all the descendants are from St. Louis. Now they're not all here anymore. But as we started out, my uh, grandparents had seven kids, and um, that's how we all ended up in St. Louis to begin with. Oh, okay. So, so what is your your background, your educational well, background? Yes. Okay. Well, my background is business administration and marketing, and in most of my career positions, I've been blessed to be a an administrative manager of some sort or another. Um, I worked for the Girl Scout Council as a senior field exec and then business operations director. I worked for Cash Logistics which is a branch of a bank but a freight pay company as a supervisor. I worked for Ford Motor Company in various positions, mm-hmm. and then for Brian Cave Law Firm as general services manager. So as with all things, God prepares you for what he wants you to do by the things he has you do. Certainly, most definitely. So as you have studied your, your heritage, have you discovered where your great great-grandfather and mother, Dredd and Harriet Scott, are buried? Well, yes, we did, and that's a great story right there because, you know, it's funny how things don't occur to you until it comes to you. We always knew, at least I should say my generation always knew where Dredd Scott was buried, but that wasn't always true until 1957. In 1957, a Catholic priest named Father Dowling, and I wish I could have met him. I only have pictures of him. I actually have a letter from him. But Father Dowling was with the Calvary Cemetery and the Baden Historical Society. And Baden's just a little town outside of St. Louis in the suburbs. He was going through the papers in the basement of the uh, cemetery and stumbled across something that said Dred Scott. Section 1, Lot 177. And he looked at that, and he said, oh, I can't believe it. Well, they verified it that this was the Dred Scott. So there's this wonderful picture of him pointing with his cane to the spot where Dred was buried. And my mother and father, my brother next to me and myself, were little tiny little kids. And we are standing there being told, this is where your great-great-grandfather is buried. So at that point, uh, a headstone was put up for him. So from that point on, everyone could know where he was buried. 
on the other hand, Harriet, we did not know where she was buried. And I have to say, if and I'm sure my grandmother knew, but you know, and this is the point that genealogists always want to get across to people, if you let people die before you find out what they know, you don't know it. Mm-hmm. It's unknown. It becomes unknown. And so it became unknown to us who were left where Harriet was. And so it's one of those things I said when I started this. I never thought about it when I was younger. I didn't even think about it. I mm-hmm. hate to say that, but I didn't. So here's what happened. Uh, we knew that the 115th anniversary of the Dred Scott decision was coming, and that was in 2007. So that's when I started the foundation prior to that. But in the meantime, I get a phone call in February of 2006 from a dear lady named Ruth Ann Hager, who works for the St. Louis County Library as a certified genealogist, and I have to say she's excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, she called and said, I, don't, I know you don't know me, but I was asked to give a talk on your great-great-grandmother. I'm doing a little research, and I've kind of hit a roadblock. Anybody ever hit a roadblock? <laughs> Well, oh, yes, was, we know about the roadblocks. Yes. Exactly. Well, she was stumped because how many people are named Elizabeth and Harriet, and, you know, it's like Mary today. So she said, I'd like to find out, if I ask you a few questions, and yada, yada. So she did, and I gave her a name, and she said, well, I'll go and look at that. She went and found exactly what she was looking for with one name, and that name was Wilson. Wilson. Now, Wilson. Wilson. Okay. That's that's a first name. His name is Wilson Madison. But, again, looking at all the data she had on the table, it wasn't coming together. But when I told her Wilson, there was a Wilson on her table, and she was able to put the puzzle together. But we didn't know each other. So that one clue led to this beautiful book that is called Dred Scott, Dred and Harriet Scott, their family story. And it, it started out to be a pamphlet, but, of course, you, you know, that doesn't work out too well when you're doing genealogy. Right. So it's the most wonderful book on the family history. Uh, things began to unfold after that. With that name, she was able to verify that Harriet was buried in Greenwood Cemetery. And Greenwood was, at the time that she was buried, a new cemetery, and because she was buried 18 years later, she was not with Dred, but there are other reasons why she wasn't with Dred as well. So we did find that out, and uh, that was quite a surprise for us. But the real fun part of it, Bernice, was the fact that we were planning this big, big anniversary, and it was a national thing. In fact, it was an international thing because he's known around the world historically for his case, and yet, we didn't say anything about Harriet. So I like to tell people that she said, uh-uh, I'm coming to my party, and here I am. <laughs> All right. That's, that's exactly what happened. When she came to life, by knowing where she was, things began to really unfold after that. Well, I'm going to hold everyone in suspense because we're going to take a quick break and come back, okay? All right, I'll be right here.
at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you're listening to Lynn Jackson, the great-great-granddaughter of Dred Scott. Well, Lynn has just shared with us that not only did they discover where Dred Scott's burial place was located, but they also located Harriet Scott. And so she's going to continue to share with us other surprises. So why don't you go ahead? Were there any surprises with this discovery? Yes, there were. Again, I want to take you back to the timing of this, which was February 2006. The anniversary, the 150th of the Dred Scott decision was March 6, 2007. So you can see we had a whole year of the time of the discovery until the time of our anniversary gala. And what we found out was that Ruth Ann was doing her homework. She confirmed where Harriet was. And then she called me back a few days later. And she said, Lynn, she said, are you sitting down? I said, well, yes, I'm at my desk. She said, well, I've got to tell you something. You won't believe it. I said, really? She said, yes, there is a baby buried with Harriet. And I said, what? What? Because we're going, what baby? <laughs> you know, what baby? How can that be? And she said, the records, the genealogy records show that a baby was born and died, and her grave was opened, and another body was entered. And all of these documents are in the book. You can actually see where it says grave open." So we were dumbfounded. It's like, okay, now we've got to figure out who these children are, who is the child. Because let me back up to one thing. We didn't say a whole lot just yet about their, their daughters. I mentioned them, but they, they did have two daughters, Dred and Harriet. But they also had two baby boys, and those two baby boys must have died in between the births of the two girls. Because we pretty much know what happens to them before the first daughter and after the second daughter. The eight years in between, we knew where they were, but we don't have any records. No other child was born after the second daughter, so the two babies must have died pretty pretty early on, like days or maybe. And we have no mm-hmm. records of them except that Dred did mention it in an article that was published that he had had two boys. So the two girls survived to adulthood. One of them, the first girl's name was Eliza. Now, Eliza mm-hmm. was born in 1838, mm-hmm. about two years after Dred and Harry got married. Lizzie was the second daughter, and Lizzie was born in 1846. So they're eight years apart. Yes. And even when you see their picture, which I know you saw when you were here, mm-hmm. you can tell one is a, a bit older than the other. That's right. So we have two daughters, two daughters, eight years apart. And as we grow into the, the succeeding generations, we're told that Eliza, I'm sorry, we're told that Lizzie Scott married Wilson Madison. I just told you Wilson Madison's name. Yes, you did. Right. Because he, and that is why there are no Scots, okay? When people call me, which many people have, and said, I think we're related. I think I'm a Dred Scott descendant because... My grandmother's name is Scott, Scott, my grandfather, and this, But anybody whose last name is Scott cannot be a descendant because their two boys died. That's and right. their two girls, only one married, the other one did not. 
So we have one person carrying on the bloodline. And that one person we were always told was Lizzie Scott Mary Wilson Madison. And that mm-hmm. they had two sons, Harry and John. Now remember earlier I said that Dred Scott's grandson is my grandfather. That's right. So those two boys would be his grandsons, Harry and John. Harry did not have children, and he died at an age fairly young, probably in his early 30s. Mm-hmm. So John was the only one left. So you have Dred and Harriet, one daughter, Lizzie, who married Wilson Madison, and of the two sons, one son surviving, John Alexander Madison. Now that's where we are in our lineage here. Well, here's where the surprise comes in. Okay. We're Ann's, waiting. <laughs> with Ruth Ann's research, we found out after all these years that Aunt Lizzie, who they thought was their grandmother, really was their aunt. It was Eliza who married Wilson Madison. And not only did she have two sons, she had seven children. And one of those children was buried with Harriet. Now, that flip-flopped everything we ever thought about because we were just convinced that this was our great-great-grandmother. We had the wrong sister. And, again, only because documented records are available and they're the originals they're not tampered with, that's how we could verify that. So we had to change the family tree. And then not only did Ruthann call me once, she called me twice. She said, Lynn, are you still sitting down? I said, yes. What's going to be this time? She said, all right, there's another baby, but this time this baby is buried with Dred Scott. Wait, with Dred Scott? Yes. So where he is in Calvary is not only him, but a baby with him. And we would never have guessed it, never in a million years, because it was always only Harry and John. And in our book, we show the names of these different babies. All of them died young. I think the oldest one might have lived to be just under two, and that's the one that's buried with Harriet. And Ruthanne makes a really good point, and I hope that the genealogists will pick up on this and think about it as they try to help other people explain, you know, how does this make sense? Because, as you know, it's, it's really investigation work. It's like being a private investigator. Oh, and absolutely. You're right about that. Surely. And so she made this point at our dinner because she gave this presentation about the family at the dinner, and she said, who, who on this earth, would you open your mother's grave for and put anybody in there? Maybe only your your child? And that would be exactly what it would have been. One of her daughter's babies died, and they put that baby in with the mother. That's that family bond that we're talking about, even in death. Even in death. So Dred and Harriet both have grandchildren in their graves with them. So that was quite a surprise. That was. I can, oh my goodness! I'm sitting here and I'm 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 really just my mouth is just hanging open. This is yeah. incredible. <laughs> and listen, this was so wonderful when we shared this story at the dinner, the 150th gala. 
Yes. Really, so many things were happening. And at that time, I was still working full-time for Brian Cave Law Firm, who I have to give a plug to, was so wonderfully supportive of me and still are today, that um, I, I, was, I was just dumbfounded. And um, I was sitting there listening to this, trying to figure out how, how is it that we could have, you know, not known any of this. The family just did not know any of this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go back to the fact that some people did know. Like my grandmother, who lived to be 93, she knew because she another knew. surprise in our story is this, Bernice. The daughter that we thought was our great-grandmother, uh-huh. Lizzie, okay? Lizzie married Wilson Madison? No. Eliza married Wilson Madison. Eliza died in her late 30s. Okay. And so Lizzie took over taking care of the two sons that she had who survived, Harry and John again. Yes. And my father is John Alexander Madison II. So of those two boys, my dad is one of the seven children that the only surviving grandchild had. Now, in the process of that, my father, who was the sixth of seven, and my aunt, Alma Miller, who's in Chicago, and she is the only surviving child. Unfortunately, my sweet daddy passed away in the middle of our anniversary year, which is very unexpected and just ridiculous to me. The Lord called him home. Mm-hmm. And Aunt Alma is the only surviving member of the seven children. But being the two youngest, after Aunt Lizzie, who they swore was their grandmother, which is why they were saying Lizzie married Wilson Madison, Lizzie took care of them until they were old enough to be on their own, go to school. Now, my grandmother was there, but she needed help with seven children because my grandfather died when my dad was six and Aunt Alma was three. So grandmother Mm -hmm. was left with seven children and and young ones. Lizzie helped, and they said that they knew her until they were teenagers. So you know what we found out? Now, this is great because I had a trump card. And I knew I had to hold it as long as I could. Yes. Lizzie Scott had changed her name to Lizzie Marshall. And there's a whole story behind that, mostly because of the fear in her life of having grown up under the Dred Scott decision. Uh huh. When she was born in 1846, she had to been born prior to April 6th. So she could have only been at the very most three months old. When they filed their cases. Uh huh. So the first 11 years of her life, she was under the shadow and the pall of the Dred Scott decision going forward into the courts for 11 years. So much so, Bernice, that she and her sister had to be hidden away for probably a year and maybe two just for their safety's sake. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and that sacrifice also the family made to ensure that their daughters weren't sold away because you probably are familiar with the term likely to, Mm -hmm. likely to bear children. And so if they were likely to bear children, then they could be sold for more money and then more slaves could be birthed and the value of their sale would be worth worth off. So, no, they did not want that. They hid them away. And to this day, that's going to be a real case breaker when I figure out where they were hidden. We cannot find a clue. You have no idea, but you know, you know for a fact they were definitely hidden. Oh, absolutely. You see, there was a newspaper um, 
called the Leslie Illustrated. And Leslie Illustrated was a national newspaper. And Dred and Harriet and the girls, the photos that you see of that family were published in the Leslie Illustrated a month after they got their freedom. So it was June of 1857. And they were famous. He was a hero. It was like being on the cover of Time magazine. Mm-hmm. And in that story, they tell that the daughters had been hidden away but could have been called back at any moment at the beckon of their father. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if local abolitionists hid them. Were they in Illinois? You know, who knows? Yes, but, but it's so it, sad. I mean, it's just, oh, oh yes. just, it's just heartbreaking. It is. And, again, go, let's get back to Lizzie. We're talking about the youngest one now. Born in 46, for 11 years of her life, two possibly of which she was away from her mom and dad. And even in this picture, she looks frightened to have her picture taken. It's like, I don't really quite get all of this. She knows there's this national bureau going on and her dad's name is everywhere. Don't yeah. quite get it. All right. So, so here's what I'm getting at. Her life was one more of a recluse. And as yeah. my father and my aunt described her, she kept the draperies closed. They were very thick, and everything was dark. She was severe herself and tall, actually. I think Harriet was probably a little tall. Uh, by mm-hmm. tall, I mean maybe 5'10". Um, she was, uh, and again, changed her name. There's no record of her marrying. She had no mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And so it was her way of disappearing into these things. Now think about this, Bernice. She was born in 1846. She saw the Civil War, and they knew that their father's case had contributed to that. That's right. She saw the World War I. She saw Mm -hmm. World War II. Mm -hmm. She saw a lot of things. She died. I said she she saw World War II. I wonder if anybody picked up on that. She died at the age of 99 in 1845. Oh, uh, 1945. My. 1945. So she had yes. this legacy and this this fear all of her mm-hmm. life for yes, 99 years. Yes, for a very long time, very long time. But as Lizzie Marshall, I think she found some peace because if it had been Lizzie Scott, you know, I don't know <laughs> what she might have done. And, and yeah. This childhood trauma, if you will. And so this is how we've been able to kind of put her together. But she was strong. She did what she had to do. She worked. She walked everywhere. She lived mm-hmm. downtown on Gratiot Street, and we can identify. In fact, I've used satellite imagery on Google to find exactly where her house was. Oh, you have done that. Okay. Yes, I did. Yeah, based on their address. Now, the house isn't there, but, but it pinpoints right where that spot is. So, um Everything that my my dad and my aunt said about her, most of those things on her death certificate also confirmed her address, the fact that uh, they could hear the trains and there's a train track that goes by that place where she lived, um, where she uh, lived, I mean, I'm sorry, how she dressed, different things, uh, how, what she died of, where she died, all of that was on her death certificate. So I knew her last name, and I had a dear friend at Brian Cape, who loves genealogy, and she just, I said, okay, I'm going to give this to you. Today is the day. Go find this death certificate. She came back in like 10 minutes with it in her hand. With the with the death certificate. Yes. Now, was she ever known, there's a question, was she ever known in her lifetime as Dred Scott's daughter? 
Oh, I'm sure she was at some early stage of her life, but we don't really know what was going on then. Mm-hmm. So, so we we realized that um, taking care of helping her sister with her kids and, and many of them having died it had to be very difficult. Um, being there for her her nephew, my grandfather, the other brother, and then being there for the grandchildren of her sister, she kind of faded away. Somewhere in there, she changed her name. And I'm going to guess it might have been as early as uh, around the time of the Civil War, if possible. Now, she was born in uh, 46. So in 61, she would have been about 15. Maybe she couldn't have changed her name that early. But after the Civil War, uh, it's mm-hmm. likely any time thereafter, she changed her name. And mm-hmm. I think that's how she spoke, you know. So, uh, But to, to know that she lived in 19, till 1945 is amazing. It is amazing. In fact, you can find her in the 1940 census. Exactly. And I'll tell you, when we announced these things at the dinner gala, which there were over 450 people, the people in the room just gasped, especially the family members. I was, like, watching to see what their reactions were going to be because we didn't really have time to tell them all these things. We were, we were working and, and moving and planning, and, and I said, well, they're going to be here. They'll hear it, you know. And they were just, like, stunned, totally stunned. I- Well, I'm going to have you take another quick break. We have to take a deep breath. And so take a quick break, and we're coming back for the last piece of what you have to share with us. All right. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you're listening to Lynn Jackson, the great-great-granddaughter of Dredd and Harriet Scott. So, Lynn, what, if anything, did you find out about other people connected to the Scots and their case? Well, I think this is so much fun because the whole thing eventually turns into a soap opera at the end. If we go back to the point where they lose the case in the U.S. Supreme Court, and now the nation is in an uproar. Like I said earlier, you know, they quietly went back to their lives, and yet they got their freedom just about uh, two months later, about eight weeks mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Now, how did that come about? Well, remember I said the widow of Dr. Emerson owned them. She would not let them buy their freedom or give them their freedom. Right. But she would rather have kept their money and the little prestige that went with it. She was also connected to slaveholding families who thought that would have been ridiculous. So, she, you know, she was influenced. But nonetheless, she left St. Louis and went to Boston to find greater fortune. 
she married a Dr. Calvin Chafee, who was a doctor and, and then became a congressman. And Dr. Chafee did not know that she owned any slaves. Mm-hmm. And so one morning, oh, very interesting. Well, of course, I would love to go back in time and see how she was fidgeting around as this case became a national story. I mean, mm-hmm. you just got to think about it in your mind. You know, she's like, am I going to get caught? Is this going to ever come out? Well, it came out in the newspaper that Dr. Chapey and his wife were the owners of these famous slaves. And this man was an abolitionist. He was well-respected, a man of integrity, and very ardently against slavery. And he picks up the Boston Herald and finds out that his wife owns these famous slaves, which means he owns them. Mm-hmm. Back then, the man took all the responsibility. It's not like today. So it was all on him. It pretty much kept him probably from being reelected to Congress. But most of all, he immediately sought out a way to get them their freedom. And in doing that, he worked with Roswell Field, who was the attorney that got the case to the Supreme Court, and uh, the Blow family, who had owned uh, Dredd in the first place, along with uh, Montgomery Blair, who was the attorney who argued the case. And I have this wonderful series of letters that a, a dear attorney, Thomas Farnham, here in St. Louis, copied at the Library of Congress the exact replicas of the letters that were written to say we must get rid of them. I detest slavery. It's odious. What can we do? We must do it immediately. We must free these people. And so through that series of letters, they were able to establish that if Dr. Chafee, his wife, and their daughter, well, it's her daughter, actually, who would have been the heir, that if they would sign a document, and listen to this, that document is a quitclaim deed. And for those of you who don't know, quitclaim deed is what you use when you want to transfer property. Yes. So the only, yes, okay. So that was the only instrument that was legally going to be binding and viable to make this transfer. So it's a disgrace and it's a humiliation, but it was a, a property deed that they had to sign. And I have a copy of it, which is one of my favorite possessions, just to see how they sit for $1. They would sell him to Taylor Blow with the express purpose that Taylor Blow would immediately then and thereafter free them, which he did do. And so based on that action and that insistence of Dr. Chapey, they did get their freedom on May 26, 1857. Mm, mm, The Dred Scott did die a free man. But he did die a free man. Yes, this this is such, you know, I told everybody, if I say this word, they can say something to me in the chat room. But this is amazing, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> it's a great story, it really is. It, it really is. It, it's, it, it's, it's a great story, and it's, and it's wonderful to have you tell the story because you're talking about your family. And, and to to have this this research uh and to actually have been able to verify this and then to have the quick deed quick claim deed i mean the actual paper it's it's just it's phenomenal you it, know what can i share this out with you here's another really quick thing i didn't even think about this bernice but uh i have a quick claim deed we have their freedom bond but also just about a year ago i spoke to a rotary club and one of the attorneys who was there walked up and handed me this paper, and he said that, as it turns out, he was looking for something else and came across where the St. Louis County 
recorder of deeds wrote down that Dred and Harry Scott presented themselves with proper papers and a good character and the ability to take care of themselves for their freedom license. And so it's recorded on a certain date. I have that that copy from there as well. Mm. And I just got that last, about, well, maybe two years ago now. maybe Two year years ago. Uh, just uh, wonderful. Well, I understand and I know that you formed the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. So why don't you tell us why did you form this foundation? Well, first of all, I knew the anniversary was coming. I just didn't want to sit back and hear about it from other people and on the news. I thought, you know, we've been given talents and gifts. This is our family. We should do something. I had no Mm -hmm. idea that Six years later, I'd still be working it, but here we are. And uh, that was the, that was the motive that I had was to say we we're proud of our ancestors and we can take a role in commemorating what they did. And yes. so that was the basis for it. That was the, so. What are some of the objectives of the foundation? Well, you know, we just settled on three things, and I honestly believe this came from heaven because. It's very simple, and they're very interactive. And one, the first was commemoration. Under uh-huh. commemoration, we recognize that there nowhere on this planet is there a statue of Dred and Harriet Scott to be found. And that seemed unbelievable to most people. And so we have set out to do that, and we are almost there. I believe within uh, the next couple or few months, very, very soon, we will see a life-size statue of Dred and Harriet Scott from the old courthouse in St. Louis, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But commemoration that way. And then he's also going to be getting a bust in the Hall of Famous Missourians in Jefferson City, Missouri, where he is not. And people didn't believe that he wasn't there either. So that's going to happen uh, the first couple of weeks of May of this year. And the second objective we have is education, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you and I are doing here tonight. I speak all over the country and have had some incredible opportunities. Uh spoke to the National Association of Attorney Generals. I've been to Harvard. I've been to East St. Louis High School, which was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And um, Little Rock, Arkansas, Indiana Supreme Court, just all kinds of places, Underground Railroad. So the education and sharing, many high schools, public schools, private schools, organizations, wherever. So we, we share the story and we're available to do that. Um, and then the third thing is reconciliation. And whereas I do not have the final formula per se on that, I have some serious clues, but reconciliation should be the outcome of our commemorating our past, our history, our history, not black history, but our history. And in keeping with that, we have had one and a week from today, I'll be going to Marshville, Missouri, for our second Dred and Harriet Scott Reconciliation Forum to be held at the Cherry Blossom Festival down there. It sounds crazy, but um, in 2007, they called and honored Dred with a star in their Walk of Fame. Where is the this again? Well, Marshville, Missouri, I mean, trust me, even people in Missouri don't know where it is. It's, it's pretty small. And it used okay. to be, I hear, clan country, okay? Oh, but it's a okay. wonderful place. It's a wonderful little town where presidents of descendants come, people like myself who have a, a history that we're sharing, 
and it has turned into something phenomenal. Um, we'll have to have another talk about that sometime where we can just talk about that because that's a huge story. But next week we have a second annual forum, and I'm so looking forward to it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who was there last year. Okay. Last year it was descendants of the following people: Dred Scott, Martin Luther King, Curtis Mazzini, who was one of the judges on the Dred Scott U.S. Supreme Court. Curtis McLean, his great great nephew, the great great grandson of Jefferson Davis who will be on my panel this year. Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States, and then we had a descendant from Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemming, Thomas Jefferson and Martha. So there were six of us, and we were supposed to have a Harriet Tubman descendant, but uh, she could not make it at the last minute. So I have a group called Sons and Daughters of Reconciliation, and that's wow. who we are, and we're working. Uh, like I said, it's a whole other program. <laughs> But we're working to show. Oh yes, we will have another program with the sons and daughters of reconciliation. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's it's part of the Dred Scott Foundation at this time, and we're we're just going to do some great things in the future. I just I know that. Uh, there's several other people I, that I have connected to this, but those are the ones who've been on the panel. And this year we'll have a U.S. Marshal, Jefferson Davis's grandson, and myself because. We didn't want to spread it too thin this year. There were six of us, and we only had an hour and a half. So this time there's three of us, and we have two hours, and we can get into a little more detail. The title of this one is The Courage of Their Convictions. Oh, I it's, love it's it. It's an amazing story, yeah. The Courage so, uh, of Their that's Convictions. Mm-hmm. That's for 2012. And I have to give kudos to Nicholas Inman, this wonderful young man, I always have to say, I don't even know if he's 30 years old yet, but this is the seventh annual Cherry Blossom Festival that he started at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. And he's just as sweet and precious as he wants to be. And the Lord has allowed him to just have all of these people drawn there. I mean, two years ago, we had um, the great-grandson of um, Winston Churchill was with us. He's in our group. Uh, it's just an amazing thing that we do, so... It it really sounds like a, an amazing an amazing thing. Do you ever uh, have you videotaped the event? Some of them have been. You know, um, we haven't done as many as I would like, perhaps. But I'll tell you, you know, all of us who come to this particular event, the one I just referenced, we're all doing something with our, with our legacies, and we really didn't know each other until we came together that way. Now, other groups of us. We kind of knew each other, but this is special. And uh, we have not videotaped that. We have audio taped some of it. Yes. And I think we're just coming to the point of recognizing. But if we did that, you know, I, I guess we would want to do it correctly. <laughs> and everybody's doing it, like, on a shoestring, on fear. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we've been anointed or appointed. You know, it's not like yes. we have money yes. and budget. So, you know, when it comes to that, but, it's But you're not keeping that legacy itself. alive. You're you're keeping mm-hmm. it alive. And and I think it's it's so valuable. I wonder how many descendants we have out there and people just totally forget about what their ancestors have done. Don't share it. Keep the family secret. And what you're doing is you're out there and you talk about, okay, we this is an experience. This is an American experience. And right. let's okay. share. And it's history. Mm-hmm. It's well, history. It comes alive when you get to, you know, meet the people because uh, even the, uh, in this soap opera ending that I'm talking about, 
the lady who would not give Dredd his freedom, her yes. brother actually ended up being the person that got sued because she left, and her brother died in an insane asylum between the time of the case and before they could get their freedom. Mm. So there's well, a whole story there. There's something. Well, you know what? I'm I'm opening up the lines because some people want to ask you questions, okay? okay so if you, you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. When I bring you on, I will call your uh, area code number. So if you hear me call your area code number, then you're on and you're live. So the first caller is from area code 443. Hello, this is Bernice Bennett. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Do you have a question or a comment? Four four three. Okay, I'm going to area code seven zero eight. Seven zero eight. Do you have a question or a comment? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, yes, I stumbled accidentally upon this program tonight, <clears throat> looking for uh, hosting my own show on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Yes. However, the I have been playing historical characters since the 70s, when it was Black History Week. Mm -hmm. And the character that I was, uh, uh, one of the characters was Frederick Douglass and uh, uh, in the antebellum period. Yes. But the the narrative that I do and the speech that I do is his address of the Dred Scott decision. When he was asked to give the oration for the Dred Scott decision. And this was one of the things that made that decision uh, such a cause celeb at that time because one of the leading spokesmen of leading African, uh, black African, uh, African-American slave abolitionists was the one who was championing it. You're right. So, uh, and it was exceptional. Quite- I appreciate you doing that particular speech because it's really important. Frederick is a wonderful personality. I'm glad to hear you doing that. Thank you. Yes, and he said one thing he says, he said because the Supreme Court decision by Roger B. Taney was, in a sense, telling the nation, peace be still, to try to to calm the troubled waters of the national conscience. Yes, you're exactly right. You're right. Which in a few minutes, in a few years, the Civil War would happen. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. No, this is true. Because what we tell people was he, he, and you know, there's all this politics behind it. But he really thought that this decision was just going to settle it, and then Buchanan would come to office, and they would just go on, and everybody would be happy because it will have been the law. But uh, apparently, it didn't go that way. So you're, you're very right, and I'm glad that you're following this particular history. I really appreciate that. Where are you located? I am in Chicago. Okay. All right. Well, if you're ever in but, St. Yes, Louis, do yeah, let us know. I was in St. Louis. I used to come down to St. Louis all the time. Uh, I had a business park <laughs> on on Natural Bridge Road, uh, oh. but it's been and, and just singing to St. Louis. But well, thank you very much. Thank you very much I for will, calling in tonight. And thank you so much. Uh, I'm so glad. I guess it was Providence that I stumbled across this. Perhaps it was. 
Well, thank you so very much. Thank you. We're going to area code 443, 443. Yes, hello, can you hear me? Hello. This is Angela. Hello, Bernice. Hello, Lynn. Hi, Hi Angela. Angela. Good to hear you. This show has been amazing. I, I just, I, I'm just, you know, just sitting here, just breathing heavily. It's been a wonderful show. I have a question for Lynn. Does the family still have any artifacts that belong to Harriet or Dred Scott? Are there any mementos or artifacts from their ancestors' lifetime? Well, you know, that's a, a question I get all the time. And honestly, I can say yes and no. The one thing the family has always had was a charcoal drawing of them, and I don't know when it was done. It was based hmm. on the photograph that was put in the Leslie Illustrated, but it's in the original mock tortoiseshell mm-hmm. frame, which is glass, as are other family members. Um, my grandfather is in there as well in his Masonic uniform. Uh, oh. Like maybe I might have six portraits in those kinds of frames. So I don't know how old that is, but that is the only thing that we could ever say that might have gone back close to their time. But on the other hand, I can't say too much about this, but I have acquired something recently that is more than likely something that Dredd owned. And I'm just needing to find a few minutes to do due diligence to bring that story together where someone could ask me and I can authenticate it because I believe and I know from the oral history of the 93-year-old person who gave it to me that oh. it most likely is. And, and I have not said this publicly before, but uh, that's all I'm going to say about it, but I'm excited. I just, I just don't have the time to do it due diligence, but I will before the end of the year. Well, I thank you for just sharing what you've shared, and it appears that the story still seems to be unfolding, and that's what even makes thank it even you. greater. It's it still, is. It's still I call it the never-ending story. <laughs> it really is. That's I have funny. one other question. Where is um, or where are Eliza and Lizzie buried? Are they also at Greenwood Cemetery, or where are they buried? Well, Eliza is at Greenwood Cemetery, but okay. because Lizzie lived to be 100, yes. we are not sure. I need to, to verify that, but I don't think she's at Greenwood. Now, Dredd was – oh, wait a minute. I take that back. I'm sorry. The oldest girl was probably buried at Westland Cemetery where her father was buried. Because Dredd Scott was not originally buried at Calvary. He was buried where St. Louis University stands. Right, I went to school there, right. Mm -hmm. Yes, so now the oldest girl died in 45, so there's a good chance she, I believe, is in Greenwood. Yes, so we just don't know where exactly, okay? We know the section that Harriet is in, but we don't know the class number. Oh, wow. Okay, well, thank you. Great show. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. While we're waiting to see if others will call in, Lynn, I just want to know, have you written about your ancestors? Well, yes, I have. Um, I started writing the book, as it were, in 2009, and Unfortunately, but with a happy ending, 
my mother got very, very ill with cancer, and uh, so I had to stop working on the book. I did not stop working on the foundation, but uh, the book is not done. However, in the meantime, I did do a beautiful activity coloring book for what I call children of all ages, and it is, I'm just pleased with it, and I'm thankful that I've been able to do it, and it came out so well, because for those, I like to say this to adults, if you don't know the story that well and you have this coloring book, you can share this with your child, and as an adult, you will look like you know this whole story backwards and forwards, because the activities are there, the vocabulary, their bios are on the inside, and even um, the photos of their headstones is on the back cover. But this was just uh, something that we wanted to get out there for education, and schools can purchase it, families, organizations have done it. I had a 75-year-old lady purchase about 40 of them for a bus tour for senior citizens at her church, and they just loved it. So that is available, and it's available on our website. But oh, my book okay. is in progress because I, uh, I, you know, I, I don't have staff, so everything we do, and we do our own website, uh, we're just busy day and night. But we love it. We love it. Well, it sounds like you love it. So what can the general public do to support the foundation? Well, Bernice, right now the most important thing I need to do is get the statue of Dredd and Harriet at the old courthouse. And we are very close to doing that. Honestly, we still need to raise some funds for that. And if people would love to donate and help us, I ask people to give their best gift. I'm not saying any particular amount because it all adds up. And we have on our website, PayPal, we also have P.O. Box 2009, Florissant, Missouri, 63032, where they can mail a donation. Yes. And also on our website, and we can repeat that, but also on our website, we're in Phase 3 or Year 3 of the Dred Scott statue penny drive. And our penny drive has been wonderful and a lot of fun. Individual schools, organizations all participate. It's their way of saying, I helped bring this statue to, to life. And so the Penny Drive, our P.O. Box, or online through PayPal, if anyone would please donate to help us pay for this and get it done, that would be the most important thing that could happen this year because we are going to, to put it up. We are going to honor them. And Harry Weber is an incredible sculptor. Look him up. He just did Albert Pujols. He did Blue Brock. He did Chuck Berry here locally. He's done hundreds of phenomenal pieces of work. He won a blind competition, by the way. He is a local person, but we had a national competition, and Harry just kind of won it hands down. So the uh, picture of it is on our website. Our website is www. V T as in Tom, H-E, Dred, which is spelled D-R-E-D, Scott, S-C-O-P-T, foundation.org, thedredscottfoundation.org. And I would love to hear from any of you. You can reach me at Lynn at the Dred Scott Foundation or info at, and anything we can do to help you help us, we'll be glad to do that. Well, Lynn, we want to help you because we want to see that statue erected. 
Well, so you. do you it's have do you have any closing remarks? I'm looking to see do I don't have any callers calling in. I don't have any questions coming out of the chat room. So do you have any closing remarks for for the the chatters and the listeners on the phone? Well, you know, I would say this that to me, family and and this is true of my dad. I'll, I'll never forget him saying, "Family is the most important thing." It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how beautiful you are, what degrees you have, or whatever you think is good about you. If you do not have love one for another, then you're missing the whole purpose of life. And it starts with the foundation stone of our society, which is family. And I think that the Dred Scott story is so relevant, not only for the legal issues, but for the moral issues of them loving and caring and knowing that they had a right to freedom because it's God's gift to man. So please, if if there's anything you take away from this, go back and love your family. Well, thank you so much because you are right. Family matters, and family is so important. And all of this genealogy that we're doing, if we can't embrace the family and talk about the love that we have for the family, then why are we doing this? So thank you so very much. I mean, just this has just been a wonderful show. And you have provided us with just some great information concerning your great-great-grandparents, Dredd and Harriet Scott, and the foundation you organized to support their legacy. So thank you. Well, I want to introduce you all to my guest next week because, of course, I have this show every Thursday night at 9 o'clock. And so next week's show, I will have Miss Wilhelmina Rhodes Kelly. And the show's title is The African American's Presence in Brooklyn. Now, Wilhelmina is a third-generation Brooklyn native with roots in both Bedford-Stuyvesant and Crown Heights. And so you definitely should tune in to hear what Wilhelmina has to say because I can tell you she has one interesting story. So, if I don't have any other questions, everyone, I want to just say thank you again, Lynn, and remember your ancestors' left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and beyond. Remember, we are going beyond. But thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night.
want to remind everyone that we can continue this discussion about the Dred, Dred and uh, Harriet Scott on AfroGenius.com. So please, if you want to continue to talk, let's put some questions up on AfroGenius.com in the Genealogy and History Forum. And don't forget to listen to the African Roots Podcast tomorrow morning. Good night.